Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all today. We are so grateful today on this is now Tuesday, July 28th of 2020, and we have been on a uh, tremendous series on John 20. And uh, what a delight, I want to say first, and what a privilege is, as always to have our listeners, to have you join, join us in the study of the word. Uh, we we appreciate always that you take the time to uh, to be with us and be able to fellowship in the Word of God. If, as I always say, if there was ever a time that we need to come together as God's people, it is in this hour. So we're so grateful for you. We want you to know we love you. We want you to know we pray for you and that uh, we feel your faith. Amen. As always, uh, what a delight to be here with uh, our panel with Brother Marty. Brother Fernando, to be able to study the Word of God together. Brother Marty, before I pass it on to you, it's been such a uh, a tremendous journey that we have been, I believe now we are, is this our, um, let me see, seven, eight, nine? We're around the eighth, ninth, right, podcast on this series, Brother Marty? Yeah, yeah I think it's number it, nine. <laughs> number nine. Think about it. And, and yesterday, I, I was so, so blessed. Uh I got up this morning, went for a little morning jog, and and uh, was listening to the podcast, and I was so blessed of what the Lord uh, revealed to us yesterday, brother, uh, the mystery of Thomas. <laughs> That's what I called it, the mystery of Thomas, you know, and it, yeah. if you haven't heard it, if you went with us, it was very powerful, uh, the parallel we saw, we saw in this story that the Holy Spirit had it there. And what we've been seeing in the last few days is all of the, the, the layers of prophecy that we have been able to see through the story. And so I'm excited because today we're going to continue to go even deeper uh, into these verses, into these chapters. So I'm excited, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, about the study of the Word today. And uh, so I'll leave it to you, Brother Marty, to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Yes, praise the Lord. We're looking forward to today's uh, podcast as we continue to delve deeper into uh, the great mysteries uh, that are hidden within the Word of God. And we're going to begin uh, to conclude the Gospel of John as we go into the 21st chapter. And I'm going to have Brother Jeremy begin by reading uh, the very first two verses of the uh, 21st chapter of the Gospel of John as we continue uh, to look at these most fascinating and prophetic insights uh, that were hidden and layered in the way that John wrote. And so in Jesus' name, brother, would you, would you read this as we begin our study today? Amen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on the wise showed he himself. There were together Simon and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other and two other of his disciples. Praise God, and and so so we begin, you know, and as we've been discussing the resurrection, we've been through the very first day of the resurrection of the Lord, uh, which took up over seven and a half, maybe more hours of teaching just on the. Resurrection Day, and and then we spent yesterday's podcast discussing the mystery of Thomas, 
And today we come uh, to uh, to the 21st chapter. And we have to understand that, like we've discussed many times, the Apostle John, uh, he wrote his gospel in what I consider the most spiritual uh, of ways compared to all the other the other three gospels. Uh, while they're all profound and they're all scripture, there's something about the way that John wrote. Um, his gospel is written in such a, a multi-layered way uh, with many, many hidden depths of insight and revelation. And uh, they can only really be understood as they're revealed by the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was thinking about that today, uh, you know, is it any wonder um, that that John the Apostle's gospel, uh, when you read in his gospel, it contains more about the Holy Spirit uh, than the other three gospel writers wrote concerning the Spirit. And there's a reason for that, because John writes in a very spiritual way. As a matter of fact, he, he, he mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times specifically uh, in this gospel. And even in his uh, first epistle that he wrote, um, I'll just quote this to you in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. He wrote, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. This is 1 John. Not the gospel, but the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, you do not have any need uh, that a man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So John is is very much a man of the spirit, and and the way he speaks is uh, about the spirit, and and understanding what he reveals about the spirit is key and crucial to to allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us into how he moved John's heart and mind when he composed his gospel, and uh, you know another thing that we could point out is that John you know when he when he wrote uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, I was counting that this morning. And in the book of Revelation, he mentions the Holy Spirit again, uh, revealing his involvement in the unfolding of the book of Revelation to him 12 different times. <laughs> uh, and, and and once he calls the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit the seven spirits of the Lamb, the eyes that go to and fro throughout all the earth that are before the throne of God. And I wanted to just say that briefly because it's with this in mind that we want to explore, um, you know, what only John records in his gospel. He records three specific appearances of the resurrected Lord to his apostles, three of them. And they're found at the end of his gospel, which is really interesting. And we're going we're gonna to dig deeper today uh, than we have. Uh, in quite some time, but again, those of you who have been with us, you're you're, you're pretty much used to <laughs> how it is that we that we look at the Word of God and and how it is that we've been trained by the Spirit to look at the Word of God. And so, what we're going to see really is an extraordinary prophetic revelation that is concealed by this beloved apostle, whom whom he he writes concerning himself, whom Jesus loved, right? And so, as we discussed in yesterday's podcast 
um, there's three appearances. And I just briefly want to go over uh, the first two because we've already been over those first two. <clears throat> the first appearance of the resurrected Lord uh, was was also a prophetic foreshadow. If you remember, what we discussed was when Jesus first appears in, in the room on the very first day of his resurrection, his first appearance occurred uh, to his disciples uh, while they were at the end of the night of resurrection day. And they had come to the evening and they were hiding in a house for fear of the Jews. And the Lord appears unto them. And the very first thing he says unto them is peace be unto you. And we talked about that. Uh, what that word really means, uh, what Jesus was actually saying was that the war was over. That's what the word peace means, to cease from the havoc of war and to be in a state of national tranquility. And really, uh, these first two appearances, as we're going to see, uh, they represent a couple things. Uh, but again, remember, uh, while he appeared the first time, he also uh, used that phrase, peace be unto you, uh, two separate times. So the first time he uses it, uh, he, he says, peace be unto you. And then he shows them his hands and his feet, his side. He reveals his resurrection. And when they see that, the Bible tells us that they said, it is the Lord. They, they were glad. And so as, as we look at things from a prophetic point of view, what we were pointing out was that the first resurrection represented the birth of the church as we look at it in a much deeper way. For it was when he appeared to his apostles that they recognized him and acknowledged him as Lord, and, and, and it began the birth of the church, if you will. The second thing that he says to them after he reveals himself resurrected is peace be unto you. He says that again, and you can find that in John chapter 20, uh, verse 21. <clears throat> and, and after he says, peace be unto you again, he then reveals to them concerning his father. He says, as my father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had done this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And what we put forth yesterday, and we encourage you to go back. If you're just listening to this podcast, you might be a little like confused at, at how we're presenting this. But go back and listen to the podcast leading up to this, and you'll fully understand. The first appearance is the birth of the church. The second appearance, veiled in how he describes it, they receive their commission. So first the church is born, then the commission of the church. That is the duties and the jobs that the church would have up until the second coming of the Lord. But he does something else. He breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And this is also, if you can see it, a spiritual prophetic insight to the coming history of the church. First, she would be the church. She's born again. Second, she would receive her commission to go forth. Third, she's told to tarry in Jerusalem until she's what? Receiving the Holy Spirit or endued with power from on high to then go and preach the gospel. That's the first appearance. That all happened within the first appearance and veiled within it, which is really quite remarkable, is what we've just talked about. The birth of the church, the commission of the church, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church as represented by Jesus breathing upon them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. 
But as we've seen and what we discussed yesterday, uh, John points out that while all that happened in the first appearance, somebody was conspicuously missing, and that was the Apostle Thomas. And as we went on to describe yesterday, in a prophetic sense, Thomas represents a type of unbelieving Israel and what would happen in the beginning. Because as you read in John chapter 20, verse 25, when Thomas returns, they tell him the Lord has appeared. They preach the gospel to Thomas. We've seen him. He's risen. He was here. And Thomas tells him, I will not believe. There's several things that Thomas missed out on. One was the, the acceptance of the gospel as Jesus revealed himself to him. Secondly was the commission. And third was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon upon uh, the, the disciples. And what we talked about that represented is how Israel would not believe the gospel and she would not therefore receive the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That was her original, um, how do you say it? That was her original mandate. When she came out of Egypt and she became the nation of God, Moses told her, the Lord told Moses to tell them that they were meant to be a kingdom of priests and and they were meant to be the nation that would go to the whole world and and preach uh, the gospel to the to the gentile nations of the world but she failed miserably she failed to enter in to her commission she failed to enter into what god had called her to do which was take the land you see israel in the beginning was a type and a foreshadow of the whole world the blessed promised land includes the entire planet and she was meant to go and take the, the entire planet and take the word of God to the entire planet. But she failed miserably because of her unbelief. Just as Thomas was absent, so Israel has been absent for the last 2,000 years in the commission that was originally her destiny, that was originally her purpose. And instead, it was given to another, just like Jesus told them would happen in John chapter 10 when he talked about taking away the, the presence from Israel and giving it to a nation that would bring forth fruits, referencing the church that would come in the future. And so Th Thomas became a type of unbelieving Israel. He wasn't present when, when, uh, when the Lord revealed himself. He, he therefore did not receive the commission, and neither did early Israel, that is, those who were not part of the church, receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the second appearance, however, though, as we read yesterday, Jesus would again appear eight days later. And that second appearance is also a, a veiled reference, if you will, to what will happen to Israel at the end, in the end of days, and really what's already begun to happen in our generation. Because what will happen at the end of time, and we looked at it yesterday, is the very same thing that happened to Thomas. Thomas said what? I will not believe that he's risen from the dead unless I can put my uh, fingers in, his, in the nail scars of his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side where they pierced him with that spear and see his feet, see him, handle him. And, and he says, I won't believe it until I see that. John includes that in his narration. Uh, and, and then comes the second appearance where Jesus indeed shows him the wounds that he received and tells Thomas to handle him. And when Thomas sees the wounds, and he puts his finger in the wounds and, and in the side, 
uh, he falls on his face and cries out, my Lord and my God. You see, this is exactly what we explored yesterday in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. Because there the prophet, hundreds of years, thousands really, in advance foretold Israel's return unto God. The fact that she would be scattered to the four corners of the earth, as the prophet said. But in the end, Jesus would would pour out the spirit of, of grace and supplication upon them. And he would indeed come to them and they would see his wounds. And they will say, this is my my Lord, this is my God. And that's what we see in the prophetic type of Thomas. He was absent at first, but he will he comes at the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you will, eight days later, the Bible tells us Jesus appears and Thomas accepts him by by seeing the wounds and calling him his Lord and his God. That is precisely what the prophets prophesied will happen. And that was the mystery of Thomas. But I want to also put, point this out today concerning Israel, because we're talking about the veiled prophetic inferences um, that that we can see the allegorical truth in prophecy that we can see by the way that John wrote. What we also see here, if we look to see it, is the number two is involved. Remember, there's two appearances before Thomas accepts uh, the Lord. It's the second appearance where he accepts him. So the number two is involved in in Thomas coming to faith. And when you dig into the prophecies, you'll also see Thomas being a type of Israel, uh, that Israel as well will come to faith, and the number two is involved. And I'm going to show you this. And and again, this is in Bible 101, so, you know, bear with us. You know, you can look at these scriptures, you can meditate on these things, go back and listen to the series if you're just joining us, and, and, and it'll bring you up to speed. But in, in order to understand the second appearance where Thomas has the Lord revealed to him just as Israel will, the number two is significant. And we'll see that when we compare scripture with scripture. And that's why I have Brother Jeremy uh, turn over to uh, Hosea, the prophet Hosea. And we're going to see some things that are revealed there. And you'll see that Thomas was a type of that and why he was missing. But then he he's, he's later uh, has the Lord revealed to him just as Israel will have the Lord revealed to her as a nation not too many days from now. So when we when we get to the book of Hosea, there's some very interesting prophecies there that predicted all of this. And and let's just take a look here. Uh, Brother Jeremy, are you there in Hosea? Yes. Yes. Can you read to us verse 14 and 15 of chapter 5? Okay. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place, till they acknowledge their offense, and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Wow. So there's a whole bunch there that Hosea prophesied concerning Israel. Now, remember what we're talking about here, John's gospel, how he concludes his gospel, how we began this podcast talking about John being the most mystical or spiritual of the writers as the Holy Spirit uh, concealed within the way that he wrote the gospel. Um, 
you know, the prophetic implications of the history of the church and of Israel and of the latter days and of the second return of the Lord. And we'll see all that in the next two days. But today we're going to we're going to just finish up talking about Thomas here, because Thomas being a type of Israel, if you notice, he he it's after all the things we've been discussing that he finally has the Lord revealed to him just as the Lord will reveal himself in these last days and really has already begun to do that to many of the nation of Israel. Notice what he says, the prophet uh, Hosea says concerning Ephraim and Judah. This represents the whole of the nation, right? Ephraim uh, is where the original tabernacle was, if you remember. Joshua was part of the tribe of, of uh, Ephraim, and it is there in Ephraim's territory in the promised land where they erected the tabernacle that they had carried with them out of the wilderness, uh, the new generation who actually went in and inherited the promised land, as described in the book of Joshua, they established the very first house of God in a place called Shiloh. And so when you read, whenever you read Ephraim, that's really what it's, 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 it's referencing. Because there was always a <laughs> kind of a conflict between Ephraim and Judah. And, and, and in many ways, it's a veiled uh, kind of instructional type or metaphor of how um, Ephraim and Judah, Judah being where David comes from, uh, would always be at odds, spiritually speaking. But but that's for a, a, another time to basically dig into that. But what we want to see here is what was prophesied concerning Israel. He says, I'll be unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. He says, I, that's the Lord, even I, I will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. What's being prophesied here is that the Lord will, will execute judgment on Israel and he's going to, to tear her. Or in, in essence, remove her from her place, taking her away from Israel, which is what would happen in A.D. 70. Israel would lose her place. And, and then he says something very interesting. Then he says he was going to go away. That's exactly what the Lord has done. He has judged Israel, and in A.D. 70, her temple was burned to the ground. And 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 before that occurred, he went away, but he left them under judgment, and it's an act of God. And he says, "I'm going to take away verse 14, and none shall rescue him." In other words, what's going to happen when this tearing takes place? And it did happen in AD 70. Um, no one was there to help her. No one was there to rescue her. And and then he says. Uh, and, and, and we know from history she was scattered to the four corners of the earth. But then he goes on in verse 15 and says this, I will go and return to my place. Well, we know where the place of the Lord is, right? That's in heaven. Well, that's exactly what he's done. He's letting her know that, that you're going to come under judgment. You're going to be isolated and none's going to be able to help you. He says, I'm going to go away and go back to where I came from, which is heaven, my place. And I'm going to stay there until what, Brother Jeremy? Can you read verse 15 again? Yes, until they acknowledge their offense and seek my faith. And, yes. 
Now, so there's two requirements there, right? He says, remember when he left in Matthew chapter um, 23? Brother Fernando, you have your Bible there? Can you read us, uh, I think it's Matthew 23, verse 38. Matthew Matthew 23, verse 38. Because that's where, yeah, when Jesus left the temple, he's fulfilling uh, Hosea's prophecy. He leaves them, and he says something to them. Could you read that to us? Verse 38? Yes, I think it's the last one. Last verse. Yeah, it is. Uh, it says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So that's really the same language that, that he's alluding to that Hosea says here. He told him, I'm going to leave you, and I will not return, basically, until you acknowledge your offense, right? Until you yeah. say, blessed is he that comes. Because they rejected him, and as a result, judgment came upon them. So that's what we see in Hosea 15, was being prophesied by the prophet, that, that the Lord told him, I, I, I will be among you, but then I'm going to judge you, and then I'm going to go and return to my place. I'll leave. And he did indeed leave at, after he rose from the dead, until they acknowledged their offense. And until they seek my face. And see, we were talking about Thomas as a type of Israel. That's the same thing that happened. He he, he has an obstinate heart in the second appearance. Uh, again, Thomas as a type of Israel. And, and, in, and then when he acknowledges the Lord and, and calls him his God, then he's, he's healed. Now listen. And and he becomes uh, he becomes born again himself. This is what's being prophesied here. Listen. He says, I'm going to go and return to my place, Hosea 5.15, until they acknowledge their offense. That's what Fernando was just reading, Brother Fernando, in Matthew 23.38, that Jesus told them. I will not be back here until you say, blessed is he. And he says, they need to acknowledge what they did, and they need to seek my face. That seeking of his face is what Zechariah refers to as the outpouring of the spirit of grace and supplication upon Israel, where she will look upon him whom she pierced. Zechariah 12, verse 10, I think that is. And, and, and she will begin, Israel will begin to mourn for him and be in bitterness as one mourns for their only son. They'll begin to realize as we, in the not too many days ahead of us, are going to see a geopolitical situation emerge where Israel becomes uh, <clears throat> completely isolated with no allies and no one to come to her help. She will put her trust and she will put her hope in in a false Messiah. We know him as the Antichrist, but he's going to turn on her. We'll look at those kinds of prophetic scriptures and what the Bible reveals in the coming days. But just to make the point that we're making here, that's what's going to cause her through the spirit of grace and supplication to suddenly realize this generation is going to realize that for thousands of years, we have wandered and, and, and we have been afflicted and there has been no one to help us precisely because we rejected the Messiah. We didn't believe in him. We didn't, uh, you know, rise to the occasion of our of our destiny as laid forth through our prophet Moses. And, and neither did we obey the command of the Lord and we rejected the Messiah. And all of this is going to cause them to become isolated in these days that we're living in right now. And what's going to happen is that they're going to acknowledge their offense. 
you see, we were talking about this earlier before we even recorded that this is already happening in Israel. Brother Jeremy, I think, I don't know, we mentioned it on here yesterday, but you mentioned to me about uh, the story of uh, of the great rabbi. He's like the Pope is to the Catholics, he was to the Jews. Um, uh, his name was uh, Rabbi Itzhak Kaduri. Do you remember that story? Yes. Yes. Can you remember his book? Yes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what happened to him. Well, uh, towards the end, uh, before he died, it's uh, according to the book, he acknowledged that Jesus appeared to him, right? And yes, but this was go ahead. Yeah, but remember, he didn't that... he he didn't he didn't want to tell nobody, right? Right, <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, that would get him in trouble real quick. Yeah, yeah. But so you remember the rest of the story, right? He wrote it down on a piece of paper. Yes. And 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 they put it in in the bank vault in the in Israel. Remember, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he died when he was a hundred and five years old or something like that. And and he left instruction. I mean, he went. For instance, this guy yes. was so popular. This rabbi was so popular when they actually buried him in Israel. They had over four, three, four hundred thousand people show up to his funeral. He yes. was he he was the man, right? And everything he said. Uh, they listened to, they revered him, even like a Moses or a David or something. I mean, that's how highly esteemed he was. And so he had been telling them, I've been having visions. The Messiah has been coming to me, right? But he didn't want to reveal his name. And he said, when I die, uh, I'll, I'll, before I die, I'll write it on a piece of paper. They sealed it. They put it in a safe deposit box in one of the bank vaults in Israel. And after he died, um, uh, he said, you have to wait one year. And at the end of one year, uh, yes. my son, right? Wasn't it his son who went and got yes. the paper? And they had this big giant, you. right? They had this giant press conference because <laughs> they were going to read, they were going to read who the rabbi is. <laughs> yeah, who the Messiah is. They've been waiting a whole year. There were thousands of people. It went live all across the nation of Israel. And when they opened the paper and they began to read it, tell us what happened, Brother Jeremy. Do you remember? When he be, when they began to read it, they uh, they didn't know what to say, right? <laughs> they tried to cover it up. Right, they, they read it. Yes. But they read it. You know, they, they said, read it. Yeah, he said his name is Yeshua, which is the right, which is the name for. For uh, for Jesus in Hebrew, Jesus. Yes. so th- this great rabbi, all these ultra orthodox rabbis had to hear his 87 year old son tell the entire nation and Jews all over the world. They were streaming this on the internet and stuff, man. And he said his name's Jesus. <laughs> and apparently, I don't know if it, how accurate this is. I've only read about it, but they cut the signal. Remember, they cut the mm, signal. So yeah. <laughs> Because they freaked out. It's like, he must have lost his mind. And then they did a whole bunch of backpedaling and all this stuff. But my yeah. point is, is that, that we've begun to see this movement in Israel, especially amongst the young people now, especially, where they're beginning to turn to the Messiah. And, that, and they, in Israel, they won't put that in the mainstream media, that revival is taking place. You know, right. just like oh. the, the whole situation with Kaduri. Um, it, it, it had it, 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 the light shine for a moment, but then 
when they realized what the name meant and who it was pointing to, I mean, they, they didn't give it no publicity whatsoever. <laughs> you know, so, right. so, which tells us, again, there is an underground movement of Jews being saved in yeah. Israel as we speak. So the yeah. prophecy, you know, uh, uh, when Jesus said, I, I won't come again, t- again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So again, the coming of the Lord is connected with a Jewish revival at the end of time. That's right. That's a good way right? to say it. That, that's exactly right. So that's what we're reading that, here. That's what we're reading. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. And that's that's right. what, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brother Mark. I, I'll say something after you say uh, there's something I wanted to say, well, but go say, ahead, Brother that's Mark. What we, that's what we see in, in Thomas, right? That's what yes. we're talking about here. John hid these things. John hid these things by the way that he wrote. And it's it's so incredible that that you know when when you read the other three gospels you will not find the account of Thomas being missing. You know and and, and what that means because what we're going to see as we go forward in the next couple of days is John laid out by the spirit of God the exact history of the church the revival that Brother uh, Fernando just talked about of the Jewish people in the end, as Thomas had the Lord revealed to him, so they have uh, now they're beginning to have Jesus revealed to them. It's happening. It's so profoundly extraordinary how John wrote, um, and, and we'll get into that even even more as we go on. Go ahead, brother. What were you going to say? I think it's very profound as I read uh, in John chapter 20, right? How John in verse 26, where he says, and after eight days, telling yeah. us that eight days before that is when that took place, when Jesus appeared to his disciples. Thomas is not there. At the time when he preaches the gospel, he commissions them and the Holy Spirit, right? Thomas is, is missing. But then it says the number eight, but eight days later, he appears again. Now, that number yeah. eight is very symbolic, and it, 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 it speaks about a new beginning, right? Uh, yes. Right? It, it has to do with new beginning. And right now, in, 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 in the clock of God, we, we're, we're entering, if we haven't entered already, the seventh day already, I believe, Brother Marty. Yeah. So, we're right at the beginning uh, uh, of the seventh day. And I think that's very telling, because the, what we're studying right now is, is revealing exactly what is what is what is going to take place you know uh with israel they're gonna yeah. and they're gonna get that we're close but, but they're gonna have to admit their offense right their guilt right and then they will yeah. seek the lord that's where we're at we, we, we have entered that prophetic time and i just thought it was interesting that he says and eight days later he revealed yeah. himself again to his disciples and this time thomas is there and calls him my god right yeah, that's that's good. I like that because that, in essence, that that gives the spirit of what we're talking about uh, this new beginning for Israel, right? It was like a new beginning yes. for Thomas, as it will be exactly. a new beginning for Israel. That, that that's a good point. And so what we see here is again the prophecy of how the Messiah would go away. Verse fifteen, Hosea chapter five, verse fifteen: I will go and I will return to my place. And speaking of Israel, the prophet says, until they acknowledge their offense. Well, what was the offense? They crucified him. <laughs> they killed him. You know. Yes. And that's what's happening is that they're they're beginning to realize 
we put to death the Messiah, you know, yes. and and the, and that's what's going to pr- pr- put forward that spirit of grace and supplication. Is the next thing he says is that they'll begin to seek my face. You know, it's interesting how, uh, just on a more personal note here, what we learn by the Spirit, the way the prophet writes here, is that the acknowledging of sin, it it must be uh, appropriated in our lives before we seek his face. Many people want to come to the Lord and seek him, but they don't want to acknowledge their offense, right? And God is revealing to us here, and and as a nation too, because he's talking about the nation and the people that make up the nation. On an individual basis, you know, it, 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 we need to repent, right? And then we come yes. and seek him. You cannot come into his presence uh, as, a, as an existing believer, that is, because these were the people of God he's talking about here, and expect to, to receive anything from him. If you're harboring unconfessed sin if you have within your life uh, the kinds of things that you know shouldn't be there and and, and don't think you're going to get anything from God I'm just telling you that's why he puts this forward and that's what would happen to Israel she has to acknowledge her offense and in a more current uh, situation with our own country what we are seeing transpiring in our own country is 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 precisely because as a whole the church and and the reaction of the leadership on a national level within the church by and large and i can't think of any anybody really uh that's standing at a national level saying you know what we have sinned (laughs) and and we need to get right with god not the world but us you see and that's what he says i'm going to go and come go back to my place which is heaven until they, speaking of Israel, they acknowledge their offense and seek my um, faith. Go ahead, brother. Amen. I, I mean, uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was Brother Fernando who brought out uh, our vice president. Remember when he quoted uh, in Chronicles, it's my people that are called by my name, but he omitted a very important part, and that's the repentance part of turning from our wicked ways, right? Uh, yes. So, you know, just to bring that up, Another thing that I, I believe that we can also draw here when in admitting their offense is also understanding, remember in Matthew twenty seven twenty five, when they answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our and children. And on our children, yes. <laughs> and, and, that's when, and they're going to realize that all the heartache from the Holocaust and all the things, it's been a consequence because of that, right? They said, yes. let Right. Let um, let me read it again. It says, "His blood be on us and on our children," and they're gonna realize why. You know, uh, they have gone through everything that they've been through. In part, and 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 that's right. And 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 what he goes on to say is is the affliction is what's going to cause them to to seek him. But the Bible goes on mm. to prophesy, and this is a little off of, of of the Thomas thing. Although Thomas is a type of their repentance, and and their and their ultimate absorption uh, into the church, or the church becoming one, Jew and Gentile making up the church. Here, what the prophets has been telling us is that Israel, from the days of Deuteronomy, just before they even went into the Promised Land, Moses had already predicted that they weren't going to keep the covenant. 
that they were going to sin so terribly that God was going to ultimately scatter them to the four corners of the world, which he did. And they've been there for 2,000 years, right? So, uh, but what we're also told in the prophets is that at the end, which is our time now, and there's many uh, signposts along the way that, that, that lead us to understand that's the time we're living in, is that they will be without ally. They will be without help. You can read accounts of that in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in what is called the famous War of Gog and Magog, where she'll be surrounded by enemies. There'll be none to save her except for God. It's in that affliction that the the prophet is revealing as she begins to be afflicted, as she begins, the heat begins to be turned up on her. They're going to begin to seek him early. What that literally means is, is at the beginning of the onset, they're going to begin to recognize and have this tremendous sense of foreboding and this increasing, uh, almost like a fog that rolls in off the ocean danger is beginning to come toward her and she's going to understand it and she's going to begin to cry out. So that's, that's, that's what happened. He tore them, he scattered them. Uh, and he said, I'm going to go away back to heaven. And, and then until you acknowledge what you've done, I will not come back. But now the fact that we talked about earlier, they're beginning to acknowledge who he is. And, and like brother Fernando pointed out, they don't put that on the mainstream media in Israel or or in the West, but those who are in the church and and have have understanding uh, and and connections and know where to read and so forth. So we know what's happening and what's going on over there, and uh, and they are getting saved, especially the young. Now listen to what he says. Uh, <clears throat> that when they begin to seek him, what are they going to say in chapter six, brother Jeremy? Read verse one. Come, come. And let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. So he says what's going to begin to happen is that, and, and this is exactly what, what happened at the after World War II, uh, after the ovens of Auschwitz, what he's predicting here is their return. And, and when they begin to talk about uh, him them being healed, it speaks of the of, of the diaspora or the scattered Jew coming back to the Lord. So it, it's a multiple fold prophecy here. But then he identifies using using the language that God uses in verse two when that would happen. Can you read verse two to us, Brother Jeremy? After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Incredible. And we know from the scriptures that when God uses the number two, remember what we started, how we even ended up here was I said there were two appearances. And Thomas uh, recognized the Lord in the second appearance. So the number two plays a factor here. And here we have two days. And what's being predicted by the prophet as we understand scripture is that when you when you take scripture symbolically and, and, and you can read this uh in Exodus uh, in 19 verse 11 and so forth and so on, uh, and in the Psalms, I think it's what Psalm is that, brothers? Do you remember? Uh, I think it's Psalm 90. Turn over there real quick, would you, brother Jeremy? In Psalm 90. Yes. So we can. There we go. 90. Moses. It's the Psalm of Moses. Yeah. He says. He says in this principle we're talking about. He says something about a day here. Yeah. 
What does he say in verse, verse 4? four. Uh-huh. Yes. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And then turn over to First Peter, I mean Second Peter chapter three, because he quotes that. And he and and when he was writing to the early church, he he, he says, Hey, I know you I know you think that time's running out and well, how come the Lord hasn't come back? Well he quotes Moses here in Second Peter chapter uh three, verse eight. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. All right, so now let's go back to Hosea. And and with that in mind, Scripture, uh, confirming Scripture, Moses and then Peter, quoting Moses, says that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So when the prophet Hosea here uh, has already been preaching the gospel and what would really happen to Israel, he then says that it would be after she's judged, after she's torn, after she's taken away from her land, which is what happened in A.D. 70. He then goes on to say in verse 2, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, after two days, he will revive us. Now. It it was literally 2,000 years later that Israel came back into her land. Isn't that correct? After she was scattered. So here we have the prophecy of of Hosea saying that it would be a 2,000-year period after she was taken away out of her land. The taken away is is revealed in chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, I mean, uh, in verse 14, where he says, I will tear and I will go away. I will take away and none will rescue him. None will rescue the nation. He's going to take them away from being a nation. And then he goes on to say, it will be for two days. And we just compared scripture with scripture. Moses says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. It was the second for, appearance. For the sake, for the sake yeah, of, go ahead, of the listener, for the sake of the listener, it's important that you understand this key here uh, to understand prophetic uh, things as regards how God sees them. So when the word of God says that one day with the Lord as a thousand years, uh, it's it's speaking of millennials, right? Uh, A millennium. One day is a millennium, right? So that's, that's how the Lord chooses to speak to us through days. So when you mentioned in Hosea that it mentions two days, it's speaking of two millenniums which is right. powerful, and it's speaking of uh, the, the first 2,000 years, like you said, the diaspora, the scattering of, of the nation of Israel to the four corners of the world, right? But they're going to be raised uh, on, or, or gathered back together, right, after 2,000 yeah. years, the third day, right? Yeah. Going into that going into that third millennium. So it's powerful yeah. for a listener to understand this and, and really grasp the, the prophecy hidden in this. It's incredible. Yeah. And and again, let's look at this because it's after two days, he will revive us. That means the language he's using there is to indicate that the nation itself, for all intents and purposes, appeared to be absolutely dead. And it was. Exactly. I mean, and that's what Ezekiel saw, right, in his vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Even those who don't know their Bible have heard that story, right? The Valley of Dry Bones, where he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
And, and, and Ezekiel told him, only you know, Lord. Well, there are many who believe that what Ezekiel was being shown was was the bones in the body of Israel that had been burned in the ovens of Hitler's ovens. You know, and when you look at what they looked like when they came out of those concentration camps, when Eisenhower and the Allied forces rescued them from those camps, you see those old films, and they look just like what Ezekiel saw, just bones with skin on them. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were... They were so emaciated and had been so abused, and and really they were dead as a nation. Over six million of them, just in the in, uh, in what Hitler did, almost completely eradicating uh, European Jewry, <clears throat> whether it was in Poland or Russia or or throughout uh, Europe. Um, they were gathered and slaughtered to the point where they they were dead, and never has it been heard in the history of the world that a nation had lost its nationhood and would be scattered, a people would be scattered to the four corners of the earth for over 2,000 years only to be revived and brought back to her land. That's exactly what Hosea prophesied here. That's exactly what happened. After two days, the day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, he will revive us. Well, that's what happened. It's as if Ezekiel blew, right, or the Spirit of the Lord blew into those bones, and in 1948, they were established again. But then we have the third day uh, promise. On the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. That 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 means that <laughs> that he's going to come and get us, right? He's going to come and get all of us that love him, but he's speaking of his nation here they're going to be elevated to the position that he always promised them that he would be, that they would be, and he will be living with us. We will live in his sight. Israel, we will be, we will be grafted in completely into Israel ourselves. The church is, is, is Israel made up of Jew and Gentile. That's really what it is. It's, we are, we are one. And we'll see that in, in, as we go along here. And, and, and as you can see, this is why it's going to take another couple of days to get through the the remainder of this. Now, listen. So in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And then this is interesting because it's time specific. Verse three, what's the first word in verse three, Brother Jeremy? Six, three of Hosea. Then. then. Right. Then in that time, which is now our time. And as we talked about it earlier, we've witnessed these signposts. We've witnessed these. Those who know the word know what we're talking about. Those of you who are just becoming familiar with it, this should light your fire, man. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, these prophecies were written uh, thousands of years ago, only to see them now being fulfilled in our time and, and well fulfilled because it, this happened in 1948 when they became a nation. And so what Brother Jeremy says is, is time-specific, identifying that future generation that would witness this. He says, then, at that time, shall we know. Know what? He's going to say this in a second here, but he says, the knowing only comes if what? If we follow on to know the Lord. See, <laughs> at that time, <clears throat> we're going to know something. That's our time. And he says, what we know will be predicated on the fact that, uh, or what will be revealed will be predicated on the fact if we follow on 
to pursue and to seek the Lord. That is why we've been trying for the last five months to so uh, intensely encourage our listeners and those that are yet to listen on the multiple platforms that, that these podcasts are about to go out on, that, that, that the coming of the Lord is at hand and that what he is revealing is directly tied to what he has revealed already in the, in the prophetic scriptures by his prophets. And that many times throughout the prophetic scriptures, there are particular time-specific promises with instruction. And that if we enter into the instruction at the time specific, then we will also have the unlocking and the unfolding of the meaning and the hidden revelation of what God has all along reserved for the last generation. Just as he told uh, <clears throat> Daniel, to the Archangel Michael at the end of the book of Daniel, he told Daniel, he said, Daniel, seal the book up, seal these prophecies up, for they will not be understood until the end of time. The end of time, not the last days, but the end of time. The last days are a completely different thing than the end of time. Remember what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, that God, uh, who in, in, in times past and in many different ways spoke unto us, uh, by the prophets, he says, he has in these, what, last days spoken unto us by his only son, right? So the last days actually began when Jesus walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. And it's quite possible that the last days that he's speaking of relates to these two days or 2,000 years. And as Brother Jeremy was just pointing out, there's a clue here as we have crossed into the third millennium. We're early in the morning right now, as it were, for the beginning of the next thousand-year period, right? We've, we've, we've been through 2,000 years. We're now into the 21st century. This is an indication that he's drawing near. And he says, at this time, then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, that what? His going. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy, verse 3? Yeah, second, I just lost that page, Brother Body. Then shall we know, if we follow unto know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So it's predicting here that at the end of 2,000 years and sometime early in the third day, or the beginning of the third millennium, which is you know, the 21st century, right, began the next thousand year period, um, that sometime in there that that he is coming, his going forth, it's going to be like the morning that is prepared. How is a morning prepared? Well, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? But the light begins to break forth. It's what he's talking about here, is that the people who know at, at that time and and follow on to know the Lord, those to enter into that incredibly deep and personal relationship with him at the time specific of prophetic fulfillment, they were going to begin to understand that he's coming and, and how his coming will be unfolded is as the morning, uh, as the night gives way to the morning. And so we can see from this, and again, we talked about this in relation to Thomas because it was the second appearance. And as John relates his twos, and as Hosea relates twos, we see the same shadow uh, fulfilled uh, in Thomas 
and ultimately will be fulfilled uh, completely in Israel in our time right now. That's where we are. And so I know that's a little confusing to some who haven't studied prophecy in this way, but take your time, go through the scriptures, and 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 then you know put, pause the podcast if you need to, go back and read what we're telling you to read, and and suddenly you'll begin to see uh, there is a picture that's being portrayed, a puzzle that's being composed, and and a picture is beginning to emerge that we we are definitely um, entering in and have entered into those days, and we're well into them. So we've been through this uh, now, and that brings us now to chapter 21. And we're not going to be very much longer. We're going to take our time through these things, maybe another five minutes. But now let's look at the third appearance that John mentions. If you would, brothers, turn back to John chapter 20. And we're going to see. Remember what we just read. There's two days and then a third day. It's very interesting that we have two appearances and now a third appearances. Numbers are very significant in the Bible, and how you interpret them must be Scripture with Scripture, and it can only be really revealed as the Spirit of God allows us to see them. And again, as we began this podcast, we pointed out how John writes, and how he he writes in very mysterious and multi-layered ways. And what he concealed here at the end of John chapter 20 and 21, as we go into 21, is the entirety of church history the regathering of Israel, her acknowledgement of her master. And then as it unfolds in in verse in chapter 21, we'll begin to see this is basically prophesying the way he writes of our time right now in the not too distant future. It really is is connected to the book of Revelation, which is which is incredible. Because if you really take your uh your time to work through the gospel of John You'll see there's 22, uh, 21 chapters in, in the Gospel of John. And each one of those chapters, if, 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 you, if you apply it, can be applied to the, to, to, to the 21 chapters of the book of Revelation. There's a 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, which gives way to the eighth day or to the new heavens and the new earth and the ages without end. But you can apply these 21 chapters chapter for chapter. And you'll see that they perfectly correspond to the book of Revelation. And I'll give you an example. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it is revealed there that there will be an antichrist and a false prophet, right? And an economic system, Revelation chapter 13, and a one world government, Revelation 13. Isn't it interesting that in John chapter 13, John writing both books, we see the same thing veiled and written. Chapter 13 of the Gospel of John reveals the Antichrist type, Judas Iscariot. It also reveals the false church, uh, which is found in Judas's covenant with, with the high priest and the r- ruling religious establishment that betrayed the Lord and turned him over to a one-world government, which was the Roman government at that time, and brought martyrdom or persecution or the cross on Christ, persecution, as it is in the book of Revelation. (laughs) In the book of Revelation, we see the same thing enlarged. So when you compare these chapters, and I know this is really out there for some of you, but when you actually do this and the Spirit of God begins to open your eyes, it is absolutely astounding how developed, how, how spiritually developed this great apostle really was. 
and, and how the Lord moved upon him to conceal in such marvelous ways the truth that is reserved for his children in the last days. Are you still with me? Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, typically, I'll add, I'll add to this, I'll add to that. Um, you know, we've been, we we did the podcast uh, with uh, Lazarus, and we see how, <clears throat> you know, John, the Holy Spirit had John write the story in such a way that in it contained uh, information that will unlock the book of Revelation. So yeah. the, his gospel, his epistles, uh, the last book of the Bible that he wrote, it's all connected. It's hidden. God hid revelation in, 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 his gospel, in the gospel that he wrote in his epistles to further understand the most mysterious book of all, right? Or like, yeah. like you say, the most mystical book of all, which is uh, the book of Revelation. So yeah. we're, we're getting uh, key insight into uh, that particular book. It is the final book. It is the book that everyone avoids. It is the book that no one really understands, right? Um, yes. it, but but it's where we're heading, and, yes. and uh, we get incredible insight um, by by the Holy Spirit as as He leads John to write and leave nuggets for us to research. In particular, those who will be alive in the last days. Yes, right? Amen. Uh, so that's which, that's which I, yeah, which I fully believe is us. You know, right. and and and. And why we put this forward, it, it, it's not out of some, you know, wishful thinking or some, you know, uh, some bending of the scriptures to make them say what we want them to say. We're taking uh, our brothers and sisters who listen to this podcast passage by passage, scripture by scripture, historical account by historical account. We're looking at it in a very exegetical way and it, it, to the best of our ability. And and what we are beginning to see emerge is is that we come to conclusions that we have indeed entered the end times, uh, not based on some wishful thinking, or 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 any other thing other than what we see revealed in the Word of God. And then we put it out there. You either agree with us or you don't. But either way, uh, we believe that the Lord is is coming, and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing take place on the earth. You were going to say, Brother Jeremy. Yeah, and and I think uh, what we've learned uh, in this series, and even in the, in the Lazarus series, is that John was was more than you know what we know him to be, just an apostle of love, you know, right? Or the quote yeah, one yeah. of the most well known scriptures. No, there is a spiritual aspect. There was something that was entrusted to him, you know, and and that's what we see. You're making the the parallel between John and Revelation, chapter by chapter. You can make a comparison, right? Chapter one yes. compared to chapter one, it's 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 the natural, and then we now being revealed in the supernatural or in the spirit realm, we're seeing things uh, have a meaning now. Uh, we're beginning to understand why they were left there. And you're yes. right, we have truly come in to the end of time, to the last days. If there's anything that's clear in this hour, is that God is speaking. These are the last days so uh, i just wanted to you know amen and and uh you know that what we just put out there the the chapter by chapter comparison um that's not new to us you know uh, uh there are things that we see that that those who went before us didn't see but they did see that comparison and and one of them uh 
that I would refer you to if you ever get a chance to read his books or his writing was Dr. Uh, J.R. Church. He was a great uh, friend of mine uh, and a mentor of mine. Uh, I, I first spoke to him when I was in my late 20s. And we had, you know, hours and hours of conversation over the next, my goodness, 20 years, really, and uh, until he passed away on, uh, in, in, in 2011 of March. But there were things that God revealed to him that were incredible. Uh, he, he wrote a book called the, uh, the Mystery of the Menorah. He, he has the mystery of Elijah's mantle um, and, and uh, the mystery hidden within the Psalms. And uh, he was the they, first person. Who, what were you they say? pierced the veil. They pierced the they veil. Pierced the veil. That's, he, yeah, he that's has uh, hidden prophecies of the Song of Moses. Yeah, some of the other books that he has, and, and the one you just hidden pro, pro, prophecies in the Psalms too. Yeah, and he was the first one to teach that that uh, although the early church fathers saw things in very similar ways, he he talked about what he began to notice the pattern. Uh, that emerged uh, as you compared and laid the template of of the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John, scripture uh, chapter by chapter in the Book of Revelation, and there were many things that they couldn't see, but the fact that the Holy Spirit began to unlock those things in their generation, and now it has come to us in our time, is pretty incredible, and we're beginning to see things based on that. Uh, uh, the the brothers that have gone before us and now what the Spirit of God is revealing to us. So it's not just, you know, make up stuff or we think it says we, we have historical precedent and theological and scholarly precedent that is guiding us as the Spirit breathes upon it and leads us, comparing, always comparing Scripture with Scripture. And you never leave the Word. You always stay under the confines of the Word. So that brings us to the third appearance, and we're going to close real quickly here. But I want Brother Jeremy again. Would you read us in John chapter 21, uh, verse 1 through 4, and we'll close quickly. We'll pick it up from here tomorrow. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of it, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, I'm ready to shout because I know what, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, what the Lord is showing us there. Listen, uh, it's quite amazing. And we're going to pick up this tomorrow, but we want to point out some things just to whet your appetite here. So we've had the two appearances. Uh, the first appearance we've just laid out at length where Thomas was missing and what that meant and how we went to the book of Hosea and showed uh, that the two days and the reviving of Israel really corresponds to, to how Thomas uh, had, had the Lord revealed to him after the second appearance, right, his, his, in his second appearance. And we're, we're trying to say that's, that's a veiled metaphor. It's an allegory, however you want to use it. Uh, John was writing in this way by letting us know Thomas being absent is like Israel being absent. Thomas having the Lord revealed to him 
in the second appearance after eight days, like Brother Jeremy pointed out, uh, hints at a new beginning for Israel at the end. And then he comes to the third appearance. And, and it's very interesting because it's as if he has, we know from scripture that, that Israel, like Thomas, uh, Thomas, uh, Israel, like Thomas, will not see the Lord until the end of time. And we've already shared a few stories how they're beginning to see it. It's as if the Lord has revealed himself to them. And now we're merging into one church, both Jew and Gentile, Gentile Christian, Jewish Christian. And, and we've become one. And so when John comes to his third appearance, and how do we know this is the third appearance? Because he says so in verse, uh, in verse 14. Can you read that, brother? In verse 14? Yes. 21, 14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. After that, John, he was risen from the dead. Yeah, so John causes us to focus on the fact that we know that he's appeared more than three times, right? Because he, uh, <laughs> he appeared to Mary Magdalene, right? He appeared to Cleophas and his wife on the, on the road to Emmaus, right? But what he's honing our our attention to is how he appeared to the apostles because they were the fathers of the church. They represent the prophetic picture as well of the church at large and what would happen, the unfolding. And in the first appearance, what did we talk about? The church is born. Jesus reveals himself. Uh, he commissions them. He said, like my father sent me, I send you. The church received their commission at the beginning. And then and then it says that, that he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. The church had the Holy Spirit poured out upon it. And and like we said, Thomas is missing. And and we liken that to Thomas being like Israel, and that Israel will come in the last days. At the end of two days, as we uh, as we quoted out of Hosea, it was prophesied at the end of two thousand years that Israel would return. We're beginning to see that in great number now, that Israel is returning. And because of that, uh we, we are we are applying that understanding to prophetic timelines. And, what we're, and we're not setting dates because no man knows the day of the or the hour. And we're going to see that here in a second. But what we are saying now is that John emphasizes the third appearance. And it's as if he's now uh, comparing scripture with scripture for those of you who have understanding and ears to hear what he's saying is, is that when when Israel comes at the end and, and she is she begins to turn to the Lord, we have now entered into the last of the last days. And that third appearance is is that type and that foreshadow. And and what we're going to see here in in, in chapter twenty one are some very extraordinary things. And and we're just going to cover the first few things that we want to talk about. In verse three, uh, it 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 talks about Simon and them going fishing, but it it identifies the time, right? It, it's when is that time? It's at night, right? Because they went, they went forth in verse three. They entered into a ship immediately, and that night, that Got night, nothing. they caught, they caught nothing. And so, when you actually, and we'll get back to verse three, but when you actually look up the word "night," it's very interesting. It comes from the Greek word uh, "nooks" or "noox," nooks, and it literally means midnight. It means midnight, <laughs> mm. and again. We're, we're, so we have an we have a little clue there that when he identifies the time, and and he uses the Greek word that references midnight. 
again, we're talking about John here and how he writes and how he writes so spiritually. So it's the midnight hour that they're out on the sea. Okay, so now let's go back. To, <laughs> but let's go back to verse one, all right? And check this out. Uh, <clears throat> we find them in verse one, John says, on, on, on what, Brother Jeremy? Can you read that in verse one again? Yes. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the wise showed he himself. Yes, on this wise he showed he himself. Well, that's King James, you know, kind of get tongue twisted there, but literally what he's saying, and the way he writes it is really cool, because he says, this is how Jesus chose to manifest himself to us the third time. And mm -hmm. so it's a different way, he's saying, that he showed himself to us, and he's saying it that way to us who would read it 2,000 years later so that we would know, I'm trying to show you something here. Jesus showed himself to us this way, and for you who are alive in the end who can understand <laughs> what I'm writing here, you say, check this out, because this is how it all unfolded, and it's hidden. Why does he hide it? For several reasons. One, the backslidden will never understand it. The compromised preacher ain't going to know it. And the world, if it picked up the Bible, uh, would have no clue what it is that's being said here. But he's giving privileged information to his end-time generation for many and multiple reasons. But one of them is so that we will know how to govern ourselves and take care of our families in this hour. That's for another day. Right. Now listen. <laughs> Check this out. This is how he showed himself. And it says this. What's very interesting in verse 1 is, is after these things, after what things? After Thomas, right, comes in? Yeah. says, after these things, he shows himself again. But then he uses this phrase, at the Sea of Tiberias. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> because why did he use that phrase? Now, we know, we know why he did. We're going to explain that in a minute here. But this is significant if we view this from the prophetic standpoint. Because remember, the Sea of Tiberias is actually the Sea of Galilee, right? Mm. If you know your, your geography, that's what he's talking about. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's up there in Capernaum. You know, it's up in the north. That's where Jesus kind of hung out. That's where they all met him and all that stuff up there, right? That's where they all lived. Also, a lot of the miracles have. It's, it's up there. And so if you do your own research, you'll find out that the Sea of Tiberias was actually another name for the Sea of Galilee. But John chooses to reveal here in verse 1 something very profound, and we're going to get deeper into this in the coming days. But <laughs> he chooses to call it the Sea of Tiberias. Why? Well, let's ask this question. First of all, who's Tiberius? Does anybody know? Wasn't he like the Caesar? The, the what, brother? Was he like like a Caesar or a uh, yeah that's um, yeah that's exactly right he was Caesar he was a powerful Caesar and and uh, and and they conquered that territory right the Roman government and 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 as a uh, as a as a homage to him they named that town there Tiberius well the entire uh, Sea of Galilee became known uh, to many the Jews didn't call it that they called it the Sea of Galilee which is what it is, but, but they named it or renamed it for the Roman emperor, Tiberius. And so what John is beginning to reveal here 
if we take scripture with scripture now, we know from the book of Revelation that whenever you see uh, the word sea referenced, a sea, it represents the multitudes, the tribes, the nations of the world, right? You know, that's what the angel told John in the book of Revelation, that the sea, when he saw a beast rising up out of the sea, he said the sea, uh, it'll turn over there, so you know I'm not lying to you. In, Revel <laughs> in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 17, I think it is, Let's see if I can find this here. Oh, my goodness. You guys remember where that is, where the sea, where he talks about yeah. the sea? Is it 17 or is it 16? Re Revelation 13. Is it, well, that's where the beast rises up out of the sea. But then the the uh, the, the angel explains what the sea is, that it's a type oh, of all. Yeah. Of, of all the nations, let's see. I will show you that it sits upon many waters. It might be 18. Uh, oh, verse uh, 17, 15, it says, where it says, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse it is, yes, are people, multitudes, and nations, and tongues. In Revelation 17, verse uh, 15. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, see, we here, here we see, comparing Scripture with Scripture, where the sea is mentioned, uh, uh, the waters uh, where, where you see the 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 horror that he's referencing, the horror of Babylon. The waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Okay, so with that in mind, that that was Revelation seventeen fifteen. Well, let's go back to twenty one one in John and understand it from that perspective, because what John is revealing here is very incredible. It's no longer he doesn't identify it as the Sea of Galilee because what he's trying to do is veil in the way that he writes inspired by the Holy Spirit to let us know in the end of time, because as we pointed out in verse three, right, they're fishing at night. But the word that he's using there is midnight. And so literally what he's talking about is that in the midnight hour, we're going to enter into a time where they find themselves where they're on the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias is the Roman ruling governor, a type of the Antichrist. So you can apply it this way. It, it reveals Rome. It reveals the Roman emperor. It's his seat. And so what he's revealing here in the way that Jesus chose to reveal himself the third time is to identify that end-time generation that would find itself, the church that is, represented by the disciples, in the sea. We're still here, and we've witnessed the rise of the people, tribes, tongues, and nations controlled and dominated by Rome. That's why he called it the Sea of Tiberias, or Rome representing a one-world authoritarian government. That's exactly what he's revealing here. Now listen, <laughs> he says uh, that the disciples were at the Sea of Tiberias. So what this allows us to know, and we're talking very deep now, spiritually deeper, is that the the disciples of the Lord in the end of time, what he was trying to reveal, would indeed see the, uh, the, the, the nations of the world be under the domination of Tiberius. That's why he used, or the spirit of Tiberius, which is the spirit of Antichrist and a one world government, which is symbolized by the authoritarian, authoritarian rule of the Caesars and the Roman Empire. That's why he changes the name of the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Tiberias. Now listen, what's very interesting there is is verse 2. Read verse 2, brother. In 
uh, 21, John 21? Yes. At the, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. All right. So what does he reveal here? Uh, I just put out there for your consideration the Sea of Tiberias is a veiled reference to the one world system headed by a one world ruler. The disciples find themselves at that sea in the end of time. There's a third appearance coming. And 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 that appearance is going to be Jesus. And 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 when he's basically veiling there <clears throat> that in the end of time there will emerge a one world system that will dominate the sea or or the peoples, tribes, tongues, nations, Tiberius representing a figure of the Antichrist and, and the Roman government, a one world system. That's where the disciples find themselves. He then says, who's together? And notice he mentions Simon Peter, and then he mentions Thomas, right? <laughs> In right. verse 2, right. there were together Simon Peter and Thomas. See, this is what the scripture unfolds, and what we've been discussing for the most part of this podcast is that Israel indeed would be saved in the end of time. We're seeing a coming together of both Jew and Gentile church, and and together they they form the church. Well, how do you know that, Brother Marty? Well, count how many people are here. Look at verse 2. There was together Simon Peter, that's one. There's Thomas, that's two. There's Nathaniel of Cana, that's three. There's the sons of Zebedee. That's James and John, right? That's four and five. And then there's two other of his disciples. How many is that? Seven. Right? So there's seven total, and we know that seven is the number of the church, right? <laughs> because when you read the book of Revelation, Jesus walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, right? And he said the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches, right? So seven is the number of the church. And so what we have here is 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 a very, very profound way of concealing that both Thomas, uh, Thomas and all the rest of the disciples making up seven, it, it, it's a hint, it's, a, it's an allegory, it's a metaphor, whatever word you want to use, of that end-time church, because there's seven of them, and they're together at midnight, and they're about to go onto the sea. Now listen, Thomas is mentioned because, like I said, he's a type of the Jew and Gentile church. Now uh, now he's in place, right? And it's at midnight. That's what we just read. They go fishing at midnight. Now remember, uh, Thomas represents Israel in the first two appearances, but now he's one of the seven. This is indicating that that uh, that Israel will be saved. This is just prior to the coming of the Lord. These are not too many years ahead of us, but it's coming. And then when we read in John 21, verse 3, that they go fishing, they go fishing at midnight. But notice what it says in verse 20, uh, 21, chapter 21, verse 3. It says, Simon Peter says to them, I go fishing. They say unto him, we go with you. They go forth. They enter into a ship immediately. And that night, that's midnight, they caught nothing. What this is revealing, because we know comparing Scripture with Scripture, and those of you who have followed us when we did that whole series on, on that midnight, a cry was heard, go out to meet the bridegroom, is this is the tribulation period. This is These are the final uh, years of, of human history we're talking about here. But when you reach the midnight hour, 
it is it is it is very close to the coming of the Lord. And what this is revealing is, is, is revealing is is that is the church is is going to see less and less uh, influence at this time on 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 the actual saving of souls because it says they caught nothing, right? Mm. But but look at verse four. It says, "But when the morning was now come." Remember what we read in Hosea? Uh, then, then those uh, who follow on uh, to know the Lord, right, will know that his going forth is prepared as what? As the morning, right? Here we have John referencing the morning. We have a reference to the Sea of Tiberias. We have a reference to seven being the churches. We have a reference to a midnight fishing expedition where they catch nothing. This is all. <laughs> this is all very, very much telling us what's coming. But, but what's cool is he says, but when the morning was now come, that is the breaking of day. If you look up that word, it literally means at daybreak, or at the rising of the sun. What do we see? Jesus is standing on the shore, and we know that shore, the shore, it represents heaven, really. And and this reveals that that really no man knows the day or the hour, right? Because he's standing there, but nobody knows who he is, right? Yet, but the disciples yeah. didn't know that it was Jesus. What this is revealing to us is that in the not too many days uh, ahead of us, as we get deeper into this darkness that's going to cover the earth, the ability to evangelize or catch fish, if you will, is going to be extremely limited. Why? Because it's the Sea of Tiberias. It's the sea of the one world system. It's the sea of, of the Antichrist. But the church is still here and it's still functioning. But the harvest for all intents and purposes is just about over. They catch absolutely nothing. But the morning is approaching. And when it says mm. Jesus is standing on the shore, that word stood on the shore. Remember, we talked about that word the other day. It's the same word where he comes and stands on the shore. It emphasizes his authority, his power, and his, his, his decreed power as judge. And so this is what John is writing here. There's coming a midnight hour. There's coming a diminished return on the efforts of the true church. They catch nothing as they're on this sea that's now being dominated by the Antichrist and his forces and this and this global system that's emerging even as we record this podcast, they catch nothing. But Jesus is approaching. And see, he's standing there as judge, but they're not aware of it yet. They don't know that it's him, but he's coming. And so he stands in his authority. And this is where we're going to end right now, uh, this. We're, we've come to, we're coming to the midnight hour. The church has been saved. We, we're looking for Israel as a whole to cry out. She's already coming. We're being merged into one church. Uh, we're seeing less and less return on the gospel. We're on the sea right now. But I challenge you to look around and see how many fish are being caught right now. Can you tell me? <laughs> can you point mm. somewhere and say, can you point over there and go, oh, they're catching a bunch over there. No, you can't. See, we're, we're, they're fishing, but they're not catching. 
This mm. lets us know that we're approaching the midnight hour or the midnight hours upon us, however way you want to look at it. Now, but we also know that the morning is coming. We're approaching the morning. And many people don't know that Jesus is on his way. They didn't know it. So I want to talk about this tomorrow. We're going to go further because what happens in verse 5 is the Lord begins to call to them, right? Jeremy, can yes. you read verse 5? Then, then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. So what do we have him here? He, he's calling to them, right? And 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 we're gonna dig into this more tomorrow because some of you are like going, well, uh, I'm kind of well. We spent a long time talking about uh, the other prophecies leading up to this point, but we'll dig into this more tomorrow as we begin to unfold because I know that some of you are already on overload. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so just so just press pause and go back if you're interested. That is, and and really go through these scriptures and you'll begin to go, wow, man, that's incredible. So look, tomorrow we go further. The Lord begins to call them. And what unfolds is just absolutely astounding to me it, because it gives us insight into all the things that are soon to conclude, I believe, in our time. We don't have very much time, and we're really about to see his third appearance, if you if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, praise God. I mean, I'm asking you, can you see him? Yes. <laughs> he's standing on the shore, right? And, and he's about to say what? Children? Do you have any meat? Mm. Revelation 19, verse 9 says, Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what what we see here. We see him beginning to invite them to come to this feast. Because we're going to enter a time where where this world, and and we're already well into it, uh, where the church cannot be comfortable in this world. And he's going to call us forth from the sea to the shore. And when they get there, as we'll see in the next couple of days, probably tomorrow, he already has a feast prepared for them. The days are approaching, and it's an exciting time. And and John is, is just one heck of a, an amazing dude, man. How <laughs> he writes. <laughs> It's so profound and beautiful, and 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 I hope you've 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 gotten something out of this today. But if you've gotten anything out of this today, let it be this: Jesus Christ is soon to come. Our faith, yes. our hope, our trust is in Him, and we need not fear, because the Lord, He knows how to preserve the souls of His saints, and He will preserve you and me in these days. Can you say Amen? Amen. amen. Mama, <laughs> so much to chew on. So so powerful the, the study of the word today, and we give God thanks for that. We pray that you have been blessed today, and that you uh, join us tomorrow as we continue to dig in, and as God is revealing to us in John chapter twenty-one that He's about to appear once again and come for us. Glory to God. May God bless you. May God keep you and keep looking up.